You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Welcome to Tabletop Arcana with your hosts, Justin and Ricky. Uh, we're coming at you today to talk to you about gateway games. What your kids are into at 11 at night. You have no idea where they are. We know. We know. It's Fortnite. Hopefully not. I really hope not. Or maybe it is. I don't know. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about gateway games today. Uh, those sorts of games that are very good for your entry-level gamer. Either the young or the not-so-inclined into the hobby. Also, I've seen, you know, spouse games. The things that, uh, if your significant other or spouse isn't necessarily into games, these might be the games that you can get them a taste, you can get a little bit of uh, gaming out of it, and so can they without actually having to dive 3, 4, 5, 6, 12 hours into a game of Twilight Imperium. Maybe one day. Not today. No, it's it's far too late for that to even start today. But uh, before we dive into that, we'll go through our usuals of the role recap. And uh, But even before that, we do have had announced our first contest giveaway winner on our Facebook last Friday. The winner is... Sir Marlowe. Sir, Sir Marlowe received a fresh copy of Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. We hope that you're out there enjoying it. Definitely. And uh, we'll hopefully be doing some more contests soon because that was a lot of fun. We hit some milestones as our little baby podcast is growing. We hit over 200 downloads in the last uh, couple weeks here. We also have hit um, multiple countries. We had a little bit of following in Canada, which has grown into different areas of Canada now, uh, but also across the world. We have now uh, people listening from the UK, uh, Sweden. I don't know who's listening from Australia, but thank you, mate. Um, even uh, a couple uh, listeners from Nepal. So a little bit of everywhere, and uh, I hope that continues to grow. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell that weird person on the internet, whatever definitely welcome thank you for uh downloading and listening so as we go into our role recap we our last episode was talking about arkham horror third edition reviewed it and really we played a heck out of it seven we haven't stopped playing is what we should say it's true i've i've played at least two to three more times since we last recorded that episode so yeah i'm still playing that um as well as attended the key forge pre pre-launch event this past weekend um, hit up a couple different uh, places to be able to go get some decks and play a whole lot of Keyforge from Fantasy Flight Games just to get a little bit more variance and seeing what the decks are like, seeing what players are feeling. Uh, overall, it was pretty positive. Some people took to it, some people didn't. Um, some decks are very swingy, is what I've noticed. Is You can kind of, after a game or two, really tell if a deck's kind of one of those steamrolling decks or if it's just something you got to figure out or maybe it's just not uh, up to up to snuff um, i end up with a couple decks and my favorite thing is uh, these deck names because if you get something that's pronounceable i think you actually won 
Um, so I ended up with uh, Temjulin, uh, the Corvetta, the last. Valon Perry Scalas, Lord. Thomas L. Spikeland, the Singularity. That's probably the most pronounceable one I've got. Tsar Carbadrab, La Frambad. I believe that's a Russian Frenchman. And finally, the urgently trivial architect of Toil Castle. Huh. Uh, wherever Toil Castle is, I have your architect. A lot of fun with them. I definitely got a good mix of the houses um, and a good sampling of the different flavors because each house kind of have its own technique or twist. Uh, like House Brabnar is a very meathead, big creatures, big attacks, big, big swingy. Where like House Dis is your demons and it's a lot of control elements. You're trying to impose penalties on your opponent. You're you're messing around with their board state or their creatures. So depending on the house that you play in your decks really affects what sort of gameplay you're going for there. Also got to learn The Mind, which was put, by, put out by Pandasaurus game. It was a very simple card game about every stage you have to play the cards in numerical order. There's 1 to 100, and each round is the number of cards you get. So in round 1, everybody gets one card. The trick to the game is you cannot talk to each other. You have to kind of feel the room, feel the mind, and then just play your card and hope for the lowest one of the bunch. And then it's like a, a, a standoff to figure out who plays next if you succeed. And you have so many lives and you have to get through so many levels depending on the number of players. And each level you get more cards. So level two, it's two cards per player, three cards per player for level three, etc. Um, that was a lot of fun and kind of stressful. Uh, definitely an interesting uh, thing. Also played and busted out Werewolf Legacy. I was there for that. That was a ton of fun. Got through the first couple chapter, or not that uh, uh, first couple sessions of the first chapter. Um, and the plan is to actually bust that out during the Halloween parties that we go to, just to play a chapter session, uh, three sessions every time, and, and advance the story over past uh, next couple years. And also got to play a lot of reps on Magic Maze and Escape. Those are the very quick, easy games, but Magic Maze, as you play new levels, you add more elements and more and more challenges. So we wanted to get a, a group of people together and kind of play over and over and over just to get better and, and add those new elements mm. and get further along. Kind of like the Harry Potter thing of... Hey, okay, we keep playing the base game every time we bust it out. Let's let's sit down and just keep playing and adding more elements and get further. So that's been my um, role recap. What about you, Ricky? I didn't play Harry Potter, so I'm going to start off with that. I know. Shocking. Uh, I, I think I just heard a bunch of unsubscribes. <laughs> oh, a lot of people very disappointed. I did, uh, well, I played the uh, Ultimate Werewolf with you... I played some Arkham Horror. Uh, I've been boss. <clears throat> I've been busting out boss monster a little bit here and there, and then um, we did not so much board games, but we did two escape rooms last weekend. Yep. So lots of challenges, lots of fun, lots of puzzles. So many puzzles. So many puzzles. So many puzzles. But it was fun. Um, 
So that's kind of everything for you then? Yeah, been, I was out right. of town for the majority of our break. I didn't get to uh, sit down too much. Not a problem. Today's uh, main topic is the gateway games. We talked about gateway games on our Lexicon episode. Um, episode 3, for those who want to go back and listen to it, it went over a whole lot of game terms. Um, and gateway games was kind of one of those categories that we hit. Um, we kind of defined gateway games as a easy to learn, faster, um, lighter version of one of the other game types. Typically, they're good starting points for entry into the hobby or entry into a genre of the hobby um, so that people can kind of get a feel for what like, a deck-building game is or mm. what a area control game is without having to spend eight hours on Twilight Imperium 4th Edition or something like that. You know, kind of wet your whistle, figure out what you're doing, and then figure out if you like it or not. Or play with, you know, more people and a broader audience. So we kind of came up with a list of different gateway games, and we're going to kind of go through them, talk about them a little bit, and why we feel that they're good starting points for people in the hobby. As well as great early uh, gifts. If you're not much of a gamer yourself, or you're trying to give a gift to someone who's not into the games, or stuck on what to get someone for the holiday season that's coming up. Um, Gateway games are actually a pretty good recommendation all around because they're typically pretty solid games uh, from start to finish. So I'm going to let you take over the first one that we have listed here. And the first one is going to be, obviously, deck builder games. Uh, It's going to be your Harry Potters, your Legendary Encounters, um, your... Was it Marvel Legendary? Uh, yeah, the Marvel Legendary Marvel series, Legendary. and then also um, the kind of one that started the deck building craze, Dominion. Uh, Dominion. Yeah. Now, I would actually recommend Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle over most of those as a gateway, mm-hmm. mainly because of how they structure it. Because you start with game one, it is the most basic version of the game, and then when you beat that, you open box two, you add a couple more elements to the game, it makes it a little bit more complex, but not by much. Game three, same thing. Game four, same thing. And you just kind of keep growing your experience level with the Mm -hmm. game as you keep going progressing. When you look at the instruction manual, it'll show you the rules for game one. And then when you open up uh, the box to game two, it'll come with a little sheet with new rules that you then tuck into the main rule book. So it does help you build up to the more complex games. Um, without overloading you per game either because mm-hmm. they only add like one to two elements per game so it's it's you know if you kind of hit your comfort zone and they even say in the rule book um, if you've played deck building games like Dominion or Marvel Legendary you could jump to game three mm-hmm. and be comfortable because you're going to hit a lot of the elements that you've already seen in, in deck building games so that one by um uh, for deck builders is definitely a recommendation. Yeah. Um, they even have an expansion so that you can go a little bit higher. It supports two to four players, which is a, a pretty sweet spot for a number mm-hmm. of players. And games typically last around 30 to 60 minutes, depending on what level you're playing. Yeah. The higher levels, you definitely are having longer games because you have to get through more to win. Mm-hmm. Nice thing, too, with these being gateway games, if you know someone who likes Harry Potter... That's a, a definite go-to uh, with, like, uh, Upper Tops, 
Legendary Encounters or Marvel Legendary. Um, if you know that someone's into something or you and your friends are into something, you can pick up uh, Legendary Encounters, Firefly, Buffy, um, any of the Marvel Legendaries and just sit down and play with characters you know and love and mm-hmm. and be able to enjoy it fully. Oh, also they're co-op games, so mm-hmm. very nice for a team-building sort of situation um, where one player, you may have played this before, but I'm introducing it to you as another new player. Mm-hmm. Hey, guess what? We're not competing. It's not me versus you. It's us versus the game. Yeah. So that also helps make it a very easy gateway game. Not to mention it's... I don't have to worry about helping you learn this game and trying to not teach you too much that you beat me. It's, uh, we were in this together. Let's, let me give you as much help as I can to make you as successful as possible at this game. Not quite a deck building game, but another one that tends to be pretty good for, if you don't want to worry about crafting your deck, but still want that competitive card game. Mm. And it's pretty easy to learn and play. The Sentinels in the Multiverse tends to make a very good entry point into a very similar game um, that can go up to five players. Um, the benefit is everyone has their generic hero. Their deck is their deck. There's no adding cards, missing cards. It's And again, it's co-op. Everyone's against a major villain and everyone's against uh, in the same environment. So there's a lot of variance in there. Um, Smash Up is another game that is very good for uh, younger audiences or even older audiences. Um, one of the benefits uh, Smash Up has as a gateway game is you take two... They started as like B-movie things, like robots and dinosaurs. And you, mm-hmm. you take both factions, you put them together, and that's your deck. So you, you play robot dinosaurs or ninja wizards or um, whatever. And they've got so many different expansions. The greatest thing... Smash Up offers for gateway games is find what interests you, and you can just pick it up and play it. Because um, all you need is two factions per player. The small box expansions come with four, so that's enough to play two players. Nice, easy, you know, expand as you will, and expand as you want, because everything's kind of independent of each other on those. So, great gateway games there. Sticking in the card game vein, but now we're just going to shift our mechanic, uh, card drafting. Um, Seven Wonders is probably the easiest gateway drafting game I've ever seen. The idea is you have a hand of cards, you select one to play, and then you pass the rest to the next player. Then you keep doing that until you're out of, pretty much out of cards. Round two starts, you do the same thing, but you pass the opposite direction. Round three, same thing, you pass in the original direction. And then you score it. From our Lexicon episode, this is a point salad game, where mm. there's going to be points coming from everything that you're doing. You can pick up and learn this game and teach and play a full game with non-gamers in about 45 minutes. And have a full game. Mm. Like start to finish, you know, like, okay, this is what the points are doing. All right, let's play. After you see a round, you're going to see what's going on and keep playing. So the original Seven Wonders board game is very good. Three, it's it's two to seven players. Um, Two players isn't that great. I would actually recommend the Seven Wonders dual two-player version. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play with two players. Um, but three to seven players go with the full Seven Wonders board game. Uh, next is the worker placement game of gateway games. Um, there's two of them that I typically recommend for people. Uh, first one we have listed is Lords of Waterdeep. 
which is a and d and don't let that scare you. So Dungeons and Dragons, but it's really just a theme. So if you're into uh, Dungeons and Dragons, it'll catch you on that theme. You play one of the secret lords of the town of Waterdeep, and you're putting your little agents, meeples, out there in the city to d- gather little wooden cubes that represent the adventurers, whether they be fighters, wizards, thieves, or clerics. And you have quests to complete, and it's really just a assign someone, get a thing. Assign something, get a thing. It's the bare bones of uh, worker placement. Um, the original game supports one to, or sorry, two to five players, and the expansion can add a sixth player to it without adding much time to the game because there's a fixed amount of rounds, so everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And the other worker placement um, I like to recommend for entry level is uh, Champions of Midgard, more of a Viking theme where you're there's a little bit more things to do with your workers. It keeps it relatively simple still. There's only so many actions. There's only so many things you have to worry about as a group. And you're just trying to earn your points more than anybody else. Next up is going to be a very easy to explain. Uh, we're talking about Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride. I mean, that's only going to last you... The game says 30 to 60 minutes. It's it's going to be 60 minutes. It's... uh. Setting up and also counting everything at the end and and lots of plotting involved. But it's a really fun game to bust out with friends or to um, just have a quiet night in, anything like that. They also have a large variety of expansions now mm-hmm. for that. So the original Ticket to Ride game, you get your core game and then you can get extra maps for different areas. Um to kind of give, keep you going, so if you like it, there's more room to grow. But the gameplay is pretty simple. You you collect your trade cards, and you collect, and then you claim routes throughout the uh, map. Uh, depending on what map you are, the base game is the United States. Mm. So the nice thing is you kind of get a little geography lesson out of it, but at the same time, um, you're just collecting points as you as you play throughout the game and. Like you said, usually the you have to rescore at the end because there's always something missed. Mm-hmm. Next up is Pandemic, and that's I mean we've talked about it many times on here. You have uh, you've brought up even Pandemic Legacy, but just as a standard gateway game, Pandemic uh, is going to be a solid choice. It's what I don't know necessarily what style game that would be. Uh, action management. Is what I would throw it down as. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because you get four actions around, and then bad stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next player gets four actions, and it's a lot of group puzzle solving to try to figure out... Um, what fires to put out. What fires, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What fires to put out, um, because you're all members of the CDC, and there are four viruses that need to not, that need to find, you have to find the cures for. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing is you fe- you try to f- you could lose your focus very easily and try to eliminate these viruses, but really you just win once you find the cures. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the world could be on fire, and as long as you have the cures, you're okay. Um, we'll usually, later. <laughs> usually eradicating a virus early on really makes the game a lot easier, but mm-hmm. you know, not a requirement. So, pandemic is another really good uh, one to four players. It's actually something you can solo. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, co- fully co-op, so everybody's working together as a team. 
uh, another brain twist uh, twister sort of game forbidden island also kind of a one to four player technically they I think they say two to four but you can solo it too because oh. there's no secret information mm-hmm. again action programming you only have so many actions per turn and then bad stuff happens to you and the case of forbidden island um you have to collect the four treasures and get off the island before it sinks and it's all kind of randomized tiles of how the island's built. And then you have to get around and everybody has like their own little spe- special superpower. Mm. Uh, it's a nice Mensa-approved game. So you definitely know it challenges your brain more mm. than anything else. Next up on our Gateway Games is Tokidato. The Chinese emperor has given you, his gardeners, a panda to deal with. He got it as a gift, so you know he couldn't refuse mm-hmm. it. But... Now there's a panda in his gardens who likes to eat the bamboo in this nice, finely manicured garden. Um, Two to four players. Plays about 30 to 60 minutes. Um, Benefit is it's kind of on that cutesy side. Colorful, inviting, very easy to play. One of the benefits is nobody controls the panda, but there's actions you could do to make the panda go to your... uh, opponent's garden sections and help make them uh, eat bamboo making them score less because well their garden's getting eaten on to our and to the higher count of players yeah uh, we're going to be looking at resistance um, it's a social deduction game um, it's pretty self-explanatory the one downside is you do kind of have to play around to kind of get your feel for it if you are playing with people who are not familiar with it just like uh it's it's kind of like a easier version of uh werewolf correct which is Uh, why i put it on our gateway game list mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the the top of my list for social deduction games Mm -hmm. but it keeps everything moving because you have that mission Mm -hmm. uh, requirement where Werewolf gets a little nebulous as far as the timeline goes. So mm-hmm. um, five to ten players. Some members of the party are secret uh, loyalists to the regime. And everyone else is a member of the resistance. And you have to send people on group missions. And depending on how they do on those missions, they either succeed or fail. Um, too many failures and then the resistance doesn't actually work out. So the other, the other guys didn't get it this time. It was the corporate. And it's, it's just a ton of fun to bust out with a group of friends. No experience at all. I've, I've busted this out at many parties or with many groups of friends. We go through one game, and after that first game, everyone's ready for the second game because now they know what they're doing. They're all right. excited to jump right back in. And it's relatively quick if you keep everyone on task. Mm-hmm. Sushi Go also falls into that as a very quick um, card drafting again is you are trying to collect your different points worth of sushi, but it can support up to eight players uh, if you get the party pack. And it's it's very fast. Mm. Um, you get your different sushi rolls on your conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt moves around, and then depending on who gets the best sushi in the end, end of the round, wins that round, and you keep scoring. Um, King of Tokyo is another really solid gateway game. Uh, you're all monsters, very much like uh, think Godzilla or mm. or any of those Jap- uh, Japanese monster movies or, or kaiju. If you're a uh, Pacific Rim fan, and 
you are trying to take over and become the monster or boss of Tokyo. Um, by doing, by chucking big clunky dice, almost Yahtzee style, where you are trying to get the most damage to the other monsters while keeping yourself alive. Works with two to six players. Um, I definitely recommend the higher player count on this because there's more stuff going on for people. Well, we got Settlers of Catan, uh, and that's going to be um, just a basic... It's a three to four player game, and if you believe that just because you buy the expansion, you can play five to six players, I'm going to tell you... You can. You can. You're going to hate it. You're better off buying... And you made the suggestion to me earlier, and I was like, that just makes sense. If you have six players who want to play, buy two copies of it, play two separate games. It'll go a lot faster. You won't hate everyone by the end of it. Hey, don't make promises like that. You may hate everybody at the end of it anyway. You'll still hate everyone at the end of it, but... It's a great gateway game because it is your early on Euro game. There's mm-hmm. not much going on in it. You're trading resources with other players. And the game is a modular tile board, so every game gets a little bit shaken up because the board's a little bit different each game, too. Mm-hmm. You're essentially trying to build your own colony, and you have to trade and expand the best you can without people cutting you off or trying to monopolize certain uh, resources. Another early Euro game... Euros tend to be a little bit rougher to get into because there's a little bit more cerebral thinking on them at some level and a lot more, yes, this is how this works, but there's like 17 different ways to score points. Uh, Carcassonne is another really good uh, early Euro game if you want to get your feet wet into the Euro style. Back on our party games, though, uh, Code Names is a really good uh, party game. They say it's two to tw- or 4 to 12 players, I think. Um, you could technically do more. It really depends on how many people you can get around mm. your table space. And they make an extra large version of this with larger um, keywords, which makes it a little bit easier to do with higher player counts. But you're trying to get your team to guess specific keywords mm. without giving it away to the other team. So it's nice, it's easy, it's light, mostly co-op um, because it's only two teams working against each other. So if one player isn't necessarily getting the clues that the, the their spy master's giving, other members of the team can help pick that up. And since we're on spy uh, spy party games, uh, there's also Spyfall 1 and 2. Uh, Spyfall 1, I want to say, was up to 8 players, and Spyfall 2 is up to 12 players. But essentially, um, you have spies within certain locations... The spies have no idea where they are, and they're trying to guess. And the rest of the players are acting out, essentially a scene. They're acting out. Um, they they receive where they are and what their um, what their description is, like what their job is or who they are in the situation. So you can ask certain questions to people. And they can give you a vague answer because they don't want to give it away where they are, but they want you to know if uh, that they're not the spy. Um, a lot of fun to break out with people. Very easy to game to get into, and uh, there are many different locations within the game, so you can play through 
a lot of games with a lot of different uh, friends and never really had the same experience. Mm-hmm. I did throw one Lovecrafting game on here because I figured um, in our gateway games and how much we love our Lovecraft games that we should find the intro um, gateway game to Lovecraft. Um, of all the ones I've played, I would actually select uh, Mansions of Madness is probably the easiest to get into, mainly because one, it's fully co-op. The monsters and bad stuff is app-based in the second edition, so the game is almost playing itself as far as the bad guys go and the story goes. And all you're doing as players is you have a select amount of actions, you're moving around the board and trying to figure out what's going on. So it's pretty quick to pick up. Um, the games tend to be a little bit longer, which is why I don't necessarily see it a lot on gateway lists. Mm-hmm. But if you want a spooky Lovecraft game that is pretty easy to pick up, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition would be the one. I think that does about does yeah, it for our gateways. We had quite a few in there, so thanks for bearing with us. But find something that either you're into and that you can jump into or your friends are into and you can force them into. Well... And that brings us to our part two, I guess, of our topics today, um, is our holiday gift guide. Recording this mid-November, we got uh, the big American Turkey Day coming up soon, which means the retail hell of fourth quarter holiday shopping has already begun uh, for all of our friends in retail A. I know what you're th- what you're going through. We feel your pain. January will be there, but January's return season. So February, February should be safe. I hope. Nothing sacred. Um. And so we figured it would be a pretty good time to uh, get some suggestions out for the season, in case if you're listening and you have your significant other or friend or family member or a strange cousin, or that creepy guy down the street that you want to give a gift. Um, And realistically, this could also be your wish list for your own family members of things to hint at that maybe you want. Um, There's a few of them on this list are on my list, too. So I will start with mine, and then we'll switch it over to uh, Ricky's if there's anything that you want to duplicate or um, add. Mm-hmm. So the very first one that I actually have out there is Keyforge. Um, this would be recommended for your competitive card gamer. So if they're into Magic, um, it's the same designer uh, of Magic the Gathering. Um, but what I really enjoy is a gift idea. It's $40 for the starter, which comes with two learn-to-play decks, and then two actual decks to use in competitive play. Or you can get decks... For ten dollars each, every deck is one hundred percent unique. No matter how many decks you buy or they receive as a gift, everything was completely unique and nothing is duplicated. And they won't even need a return receipt because everything they'll need is right there. Um, nice stocking stuffer, um, ten dollar price point for the uh, so- solo decks too. Um, in our Lovecraftian vein, Arkham Horror Third Edition just came out, and we. And- went- haven't stopped talking about it yet, so you can tell there's a lot of hype behind it. And Definitely. the hype is it's real. well warranted. Um, one to six players, two to four hour playing time, $65 price tag. Kind of hits that mainstream 
a heavier game, but is still fun enough and light enough where you can actually play a round or two in an evening if you want to do a longer evening. Mm-hmm. Opposed to the uh, second edition, which was your entire evening if you've decided to play that. Um, also in the spooky vein, uh, recently was released the Betrayal Legacy. So this is the house uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill Legacy Edition. Retails for about $60. I've seen some sales on it already. Um, each session is about 75 minutes. You have 13 sessions to play. Uh, three to five players. And it is one of those legacy games. So you can keep playing with the same group of players and have an evolving story. And then at the end, you have a game that you can kind of call your own. Uh, for your discerning strategy player, I would recommend a game called War Chest by AEG. Um, it uses a poker chip style bag drafting. So you get your troops, you put them in, a, they're all represented by these uh, symbols on poker chips, throw them in a bag, and then you have to capture points on a board, almost chess-ish, but you have to actually pull out all of your pieces and put them out on the board. Uh, it plays either two or four players, because um, it's either head-to-head or teams of two against each other. So it's a two or four, not two, two, four. Um, retails for $50 and plays in about 30 to 60 minutes. Another gift on the strategy side, if you like abstract strategy games like chess or go, uh, the game Tack is also a very great gift. Um, there's a lot of different levels of purchasing on this, depending on where your budget is for your individual. Um, if they are a book lover and like the Name of the Wind series, this would be a great game for them. The Tinker's Pack has a bunch of different versions. You can get a box version. You can get very nice wooden boards. So you kind of have to look at it like a chess sort of entry. You can get that very, you know, boxed version, or you can get really fancy stone, marble, gem. Like, it goes all crazy. Uh, fancy exotic woods. So kind of hits every every budget if you want. Uh, for your deck builders, the Thunderstone Quest by AEG actually just released. Um, it was a Kickstarter, but the retail versions are out now. It is a two to four player, uh, about 90 minutes per play. It's the old Thunderstone game, brought new with a little bit more um, narrative quest style, where you're going, you kind of quest to the dungeon instead of just, oh, there happens to be a dungeon, this is what we're doing gives a little bit more structure to what you're what you're doing in that game. For your party players and your Marvel fans, uh, Hail Hydra, five to eight players, is your secret social deduction. Are you a member of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Are you a member of Hydra? Everyone has a super pure power and retails for about $30. So it's a nice party-based game. Uh, also in the Marvel vein, I would also highly recommend five minute marvel this is a little bit for your younger audiences or your young at heart audiences us us um two to four players plays in five minutes or less and retails for 25 dollars. a lot of variants in there because you get about 12 different heroes so you can always kind of mix and match which heroes you're using um to strengthen your replayability another quirky game out there um that i would recommend as a gift is gizmos by simon they have, it's a $35 MSRP, plays in about 45 minutes, uh, two to four players. You draft marbles and you're building different, you're building a, uh, a gizmo or an engine sort of situation where as you progress with the game, 
initially you you can grab a marble, you can build something. Like your your actions per turn are very basic, but as you play, you're linking these things together. So I grab a blue marble, which then because of what I've built means I get to do this and then this and then this, and that's the essentially the player who can craft the best gizmos uh, ends up being the winner there. If you are looking for that player or collect uh, that gamer who kind of has a little bit of everything, if you know they have the Sentinels of the Multiverse anything, they did release the Ultimate Collector's Box for Sentinels of the Multiverse. It retails for $60, and it is a storage solution, a rather large and massive one, that holds every single card ever made for this game, including extra tokens, uh, including a unique character that can only be found in that box, as well as uh, dividers and everything to make the game a little bit easier to take up and tear, tear down. Uh, and finally, my last gift-giving suggestion is a smash-up between two different games. Um, from Stonemeyer Games, there's the Between Two Cities. And from Brazier Games, there's the Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And Stonemeyer smashed these two things together and paid the Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, a tile-building castle building game where you are sitting between two castles that you're trying to build with the players on the other side of those castles your scoring your final score is the castle that of that you're sitting between lower score so you can't purposely tank one or the other you have to build them equally well and hopefully your buildings are better than everybody else's because it's a fun uh tile uh drafting and lane game at that point so that would be my holiday gift-giving options. I ran through them a little quickly because I didn't want to give too much away, but kind of want to give you that flavor and feeling for it. So I'm going to pass the ball over to Ricky for any other of his choices. And you hit it uh, mostly on the head with a lot of them. Key Forward, <laughs> Arkham Horror, uh, Betrayal, definitely uh, Five Man Marvel, Sentinels, all those are very good picks. So what I'm going to do more over is I'm going to just give you a little tips, uh, a few tips for um, looking for gifts for people right now. <clears throat> the one thing I will say, uh, looking for a gift for a loved one, if you have the uh, ability to, go ahead and take a picture of what uh, of whatever game that they love playing. Um, if it comes with expansions, take a picture of everything they have. Take it to your lo uh, friendly local gaming shop. I'm almost going to guarantee whoever's behind the counter has some sort of sense of what game they play. and can either suggest any kind of expansion or similar game to get them into. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, would, um, I wouldn't say avoid, but kind of uh, be wary of games that have a lot of expansions. When I say games like a lot of expansions, I mostly mean mini-games. Um, your Star Wars Legion, your Star Wars X-Wing. This is coming from someone who loves Star Wars Legion and has almost everything. Um, it's almost like giving your kid a gift without batteries. You give them a small portion of it and next thing you know it leads to an addiction that they're going to just keep buying stuff for. They want to get their full enjoyment out of it. If you are looking at games... Um, that have expansions, make sure uh, to get the uh, the base game before buying any expansions. 
And you might even just want to buy the base game without the expansions. Let them enjoy that game itself fully. And then later on, birthdays, any kind of celebration, you can pick up the expansion to it. It really gives that game that longevity. Definitely. Um, we have our Gmail email. So if you do have a uh, question about a particular game or question about gift giving, write to us. Ask us what to get your your friend, your family, your loved one. Or what to get us. Because we like gifts too. Nah. But um, I think that's going to be doing it for our gift giving guide for 2018 at least. If you have any suggestions or things that you think are great gift giving, uh, definitely jump on our Facebook page and share what your gift giving guide would be. Mm. And that's tabletop arcanum you'd find it on the face space the book of faces yes sir also instagram also instagram i think we have a twitter i don't think we've ever used it but it's there it's there it officially announces that we have new episodes but that's all i've used it for at this point because i'm 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 scared of the twitter yeah no i'm not i just i have enough things to track so um then we're also on Spotify now. We're on Spotify now. We're on all major podcast apps that I know of. And if that's a lie, let me know because I want to fix that. Absolutely. Um, until then, uh, I think our next episode will be talking about the upcoming Warhammer uh, Games uh, Games Workshop game. The Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress, which will be hitting stores soon. And we have the opportunity to kind of sample it and get some uh, early thoughts on it. So stay tuned. We'll be talking about that very soon. Until next time, this is Justin. And this is Ricky. In honor of the passing of Stan Lee, one of uh, my heroes for a, a while. I have him staring at me on your wall right now. It's true. We'll just leave you with a Excelsior. Listening to Tabletop Arcanum, hosted by Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, and featuring the original music by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.